This episode is supported by Vegamore. I'm a month and a half into my Vegamore journey. I don't know if you've ever had a garden and planted seeds, but when that first little growth breaks ground, it's exciting. And on my very head, I can see some new growth in the areas that I've noticed hair thinning before. And it's exciting to see those little babies coming in. I use the shampoo, conditioner, and the grow serum, which have a lovely, mellow, warm citrus smell. I've been consistently using this and it makes my hair feel soft and full. And it's really important to me that I use safe and conscious products whenever I can. And Vegamore is 100% cruelty-free and are never formulated with potentially harmful chemicals like parabens or hormones. Elevate your hair wellness routine this year with Vegamore. For a limited time, get 20% off your first subscription order by going to vegamore.com slash mind and use code mind at checkout. That's V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R.com slash mind, code mind to save 20% on your first order. V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R.com slash mind, code mind. Welcome to Mom in Mind. I'm perinatal psychologist and host, Dr. Kat. There's more to the story than just postpartum depression, and this podcast aims to share it all. From personal stories and lived experience to experts who break down the ups and downs of life from getting pregnant, pregnancy, perinatal loss, and postpartum adjustment to parenthood. While this is not psychotherapy or medical advice, it is all of the stuff you ever wanted to know about mental health and new parenthood. Welcome back to Mom in Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. In our episode today, we are looking in a little more closely to the topic of surrogacy, or also known as gestational surrogacy. We are hearing a personal story from Lizzie Smith, who is a 40-year-old mom of James, who is 17 months old. She works as a school administrator, and her and her husband went through nearly a decade of infertility before their miracle baby boy was born. Lizzie is sharing with us what surrogacy is, and what some of the reasons might be that people end up needing a gestational carrier. She also talks about some of the common misconceptions about surrogacy, including judgments from people like hurtful, unhelpful, or naive comments, what it's like to have to explain your journey, what it's like to have to explain surrogacy, and how difficult that is. So let's welcome Lizzie. Welcome, Lizzie. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me extremely grateful that you wanted to come on and share your story. And as we were just chatting a little bit before we got started, I know, and you know, like how valuable it is to hear other people share a similar story. One, so that you know that you're not alone, but also some of the things that you're going to be talking to us about is so that other people can know really what it's like and ideally suspend their whatever it is, their judgment or their misconceptions or yeah, false ideas around what actually happens for people. Yeah. So to that end, wherever you feel comfortable, please do share your story with us. Okay. Thank you. So my husband and I, like most people, after being married for a while, we decided that we wanted to have children. And after trying for a little while, it wasn't happening. So we saw a doctor, got some tests done, the OB, and everything seemed normal. And so she told us to to keep trying. 
She said, I bet you, you know, you'll come back to me in a couple months and you'll be pregnant. We'll never forget that, but Mm. that's fine. (laughs) And so more months went by and we got past the year mark, which is when most doctors will tell you if you're under 35 at the time I was to set up an appointment with a reproductive endocrinologist. And so we, at the year mark, we set up an appointment with them and got some more testing done and still things were coming back normal. There wasn't really an explanation as to why um, it wasn't happening for us. So we were talking about our options at that point. And then in my story, uh, a kind of a side note, I ended up getting really sick with a kind of rare lung, lung fungal situation. And so that do, yeah, it was crazy. It's managed now, but it came up suddenly and out of nowhere and it was very rare and it took a while to diagnose and to treat. So it derailed our um, family building for another year. So I had to deal with that for a little while. And then after that, we went back to the reproductive endocrinologist and he suggested that we try IVF. I still didn't really have a diagnosis at that point. It was said that I probably had adenomyosis, which is sort of like endometriosis. It's a problem with the uterine lining. But it's fairly common in a lot of women who have that conceive and carry pregnancies. So it wasn't a, you know, a very incredibly definitive thing. It was just the only thing they could really tell us. So we proceeded with IVF and it was a very long process for us because of the adenomyosis as well. The, the doctor wanted to, once we actually got embryos, which took a few tries of egg retrievals and the medications and all of that for transfers every time that's transferring an embryo into my uterus. And every time before we did that, he wanted us to do additional medication that put me in menopause and for three months at a time, because that's supposed to help treat the adenomyosis. So we did that before our transfers and we had four transfers and all of them failed. None of them worked. And in between so that, there was also... If I, if I can, just yeah, go ahead. real sure. quick, like, what is that? I mean, going through that process multiple mm-hmm. times is, is a lot. It's a lot, yeah. And it, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of, like, time math yes. and planning and all that. So for you, for, you, for those four uh, transfers, what's the time span? The time span, I'm trying to remember, was probably over about two years yeah. for that. So lots yeah. of ups and downs physically, lots emotionally. Mentally, yeah. all, all of the things. Yeah. All of those. Some, it varies for people doing IVF. Some people have transfers much more quickly, depending on different factors. Like if you're doing, we froze our embryos and I had the induced menopause and all of that. And then since it wasn't working, a lot of times in between the transfers, I also would have hysteroscopies, which are where they put a camera in your uterus to, to, and take biopsies and look around. And I had pelvic MRIs and I had, I, had, I just had a lot of, lot of different things because they were trying to give us the best chance possible. But at the end of the day, it was still just this sort of adenomyosis diagnosis. So after our fourth failed transfer, I, I remember our doctor before that was kind of hinting at surrogacy. If it didn't work, he wasn't very comfortable continuing with transfers, even though we had more embryos, just because he felt like we had tried everything that should work at that point. And so I kind of knew it was coming. But every time after a failed transfer, you go in and meet with your doctor and you talk about, you know, what happened and what are we going to do moving forward? It's always a very emotional appointment. (laughs) I remember crying at most of them and 
he was wonderful. And the nurse we had was so wonderful. I'm still in touch with her. And she was always there for us. That's amazing. Yeah, she was great. And so at that appointment, after the last failed transfer, he said, "I, I really think it's time that you explore the option of surrogacy. We've done everything we can here. I think you have good embryos, but I think that it's not working in your body. I never had implantation. I never got pregnant at all. And I was sort of a little bit mentally prepared for that because I kind of knew it was coming. And it was kind of ironic because that day at our clinic, while we were in the waiting room, there was this energy in there with this group. And it usually it's very somber in a fertility clinic waiting room. Like people don't talk, they don't make eye contact. Like it's just a hard process and you're just kind of trying to figure it out. So But there was a group and it was multiple people and that's not usually the case. And they were very excited and they were wearing matching t-shirts for the for a transfer that they were having. And I come to find out that it was a a surrogate transfer that was going on that day. And so there happened to be a representative from that agency, the surrogacy agency there. And those two things, one, I kind of just felt like it was a sign. This was what was supposed to happen. and, And it was such a positive thing to witness just in that Mm -hmm. waiting room. Like they were, it was like a team and they were all excited Mm -hmm. and, you know, hopeful, which is such a hard thing to be when you're going through years of this. And then since she happened to be there, we were able to just chat with her that day and kind of pick her brain on, okay, if we are going to do this, what is it like? and What do we need to do? So it it was a lot in one day, but I I remember leaving there feeling actually hopeful for the first time in, in many years, which is great. <laughs> it was yeah. a great feeling. Not simple. I wouldn't say that I thought, okay, this is this is it and this is just going to work. Of course not. But it was a little like, you know, light at the end of the tunnel that I could focus on. Yeah. So from there, we decided that we were going to pursue surrogacy. It's a long process. So it's a long process on top of a, a long process of infertility <laughs> already. Yeah, right. But our Fertility clinic was wonderful. They gave us a lot of guidance to start with. They gave us, they said, basically, you're going to want to work with an agency. So agencies are people who coordinate the relationship between the surrogate and the intended parents. That's what Mm -hmm. they call us, Mm -hmm. the IPs. And so they kind of, you know, have the surrogate supply and they, they match you with somebody. And then they handle a lot of the logistics as well, because there's a lot that goes along with it. So our clinic said to start with, you know, here's some agencies we've worked with. Why don't you talk to them and get an idea of, you know, how they do their process and if they have any available candidates. And so where we live, um, I'm in California, um, which is an extremely surrogate-friendly state, surrogacy-friendly state. So that was in our favor, we were able to meet locally with agencies and talk to them in person. And we kind of found out that they they all sort of do the same process. It's very, very regulated. And so, you know, legally and logistically and professionally right. and all of that, they were all very similar in their approach. So for us, what it came down to is if anyone would end up having an available surrogate match for us. And so I think we started the process in December of 2019 is when we started meeting with agencies. In May of 2020, one of the agencies reached out with a profile for us of a potential match. So when we met with the agencies, you fill out 
a lot of paperwork Mm -hmm. (laughs) to begin with to make your profile as an intended parent. And so they have that and it asks all kinds of questions from, you know, fun things like what are your hobbies and, you know, what do you uh, are passionate about, things like that, to harder questions like in a pregnancy, if this medical situation came up, what what would you what would your decision be? And then they uh, the surrogate uh, fills out a similar questionnaire and so that they can match you together as best they can, especially with things like important medical decisions, like whether or not you'd be on the same page with termination for medical reasons or having an amnio or, you know, things like that, that, that come up with pregnancy. And so in May, uh, one of the agencies sent us a potential candidate and said, we think this, this person might be a good match for you. I should say before that, we had been sent a couple profiles. And it's such a kind of odd thing looking through a profile of another mm-hmm. woman thinking, how do I choose like who is a, a good match for us and a good person? Because, you know, these are all wonderful, generous people who want to do this. And also the agencies, you know, look, accept them first and make sure they're, you know, in the right mindset and all of that to do it. So whoever they said, my husband and I would think, they seem like a great person, but how do I know that this right. is the person? It's really hard to, to decide. And so we looked through a couple before we got uh, sent our surrogate profile in May. And it was kind of one of those things where we thought maybe, but I don't know. And then we just kind of would leave it. And then when we got her profile, I read through it and I couldn't wait to talk to my husband about it because mm-hmm. I just knew. I just thought this is our person. And I let him read it and I stayed quiet. And I said, and he said, I think this is the one. And I said, me too. <laughs> and we were cool. excited about it. And how I knew it's kind of hard to tell, but I think it's just um, a lot of the answers she had to questions on there really resonated with me. Things like being very empathetic toward our situation and infertility and knowing that this is something that was out of our control and, and we were doing everything that we could to become parents and, and understanding how hard that was for us mm-hmm. and her just kind of answering in a way, which is that I'm just here because I want to make, you know, that, that dream of becoming a parent true for, for someone and I can do that. It's right. Awesome. And yeah. I mean, when support for today's episode comes from OneSkin. And for a limited time, my listeners get an exclusive 15% off OneSkin products using the code MIND when you check out at oneskin.co. Well, I've kept up my mini resolution of taking better care of my skin after consistently using OneSkin for several weeks and all is going well. I can't see what's going on at a cellular level, but I can tell you that my skin feels soft and healthy. But they did do some cool research that looked at before and after exposure of the OS1 peptide to skin cells, and the one skin scientist found that the peptide reverses skin's biological age. And you can even see that study by Zonari A. et al. in the NPJ Aging Journal. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code MIND at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code MIND. After you purchase, they'll ask where you heard about them. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. New year, healthier skin. That's OneSkin. This episode is supported by Ritual. 
I am by nature and nurture a bit skeptical. I have to see for myself if something works or if it's helpful before I just believe it whole cloth. And I'm open to trying things out to see for myself. And that includes finding strategies for my wellness. I have historically low vitamin D, so it's important for me to take Ritual's Essential 18 because it has D3 in it. And their clinically backed Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin has several other high quality traceable key ingredients in clean bioavailable forms. What I love and have always loved about Ritual is that it's a female-founded company, and it's a B Corp, which means they're holding themselves accountable, and not just long-term, but also to the health of people and our planet. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash momandmind. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash mom and mind for 25% off. Right. So you're reading through pri- uh, profiles, not like you just like, you know, sort of swipe right or whatever and hey, right. this person. But in a way, yeah. you you are going to have a relationship with them. Yeah. So there's Absolutely. so many things you, you're wanting to be aligned in as m- many ways as possible because it's not just Absolutely. a transaction. It's not just, no. here's this, you do that, we'll see you in n- nine months or whatever. Um, Absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are different stories of surrogacy out there, of course, in different situations. I would say it is in where we are and it's it's uncommon to have a transactional relationship with a surrogate. And for my husband and I, that was very important. One of the our requirements was that she be in the same city as us. A lot of people that doesn't, you know, necessarily happen because of other factors have to match up too. But we thought we could make it happen. And if we were patient and it did, luckily, because we wanted to be there for everything. We wanted to see her. We wanted to go to all the appointments. You know, we wanted to be a team and not just have this long distance kind of relationship if we were able to. And and luckily we were. So after reviewing her profile, we told the agency that, you know, we really liked her and we wanted to move forward. And they came back to us and said she felt the same way about us. And so usually you, if you're in the same city, you would meet up in person with the coordinator from the agency just to kind of, you know, get an in-person feel for each other. This was during COVID. (laughs) So we also did this during COVID, which Mm -hmm. is another added layer of interestingness. But so (laughs) we did actually met her and her husband on a Zoom call, but it went really well. And on both sides, we agreed that we wanted to move forward. Um, so from there begins a lot of logistical things that need to happen. So her medical records get sent to our clinic. They pre-approve her. And then she has to go in and get tests done at the fertility clinic, like blood work um, and even a hysteroscopy to make sure that everything looks okay. So she did all of that and was medically cleared, which was mm-hmm. great. Sometimes I've talked to other intended parents who match with a wonderful person and then they don't get medically cleared and it's just mm. crushing because then you have to stop, you know, right, in the right. process. So, so there's so many, like so many points along this journey where you could get like hopes up and then, and then potentially be disappointed and just like the, the ups and downs of this. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Seemingly constant. Constant. I mean, I would say one thing that it doesn't make it easy, but that sort of prepared me in a way for that was going through infertility for so long. 
because I mean, I was used to ups and downs of like things not working out of just, you know, you never know, you know, what's going to happen. And you kind of just, I wouldn't say it makes it okay by any means, but you sort of like, it's not a shock to the system as much when you've been doing that for a while. But yeah, so from there, the process is a lot of legal uh, work as well. Once she's medically cleared, then contracts are signed. And there's usually a contract between the intended parents and the agency, and then a contract between the intended parents and the surrogate. And once all of that is signed, then you can kind of move forward with the embryo transfer part. So she had, we had our transfer November 30th, 2020. And it's like deep in the, in the pandemic, deep, deep in there. It was a tough time. Yeah, it was a tough time. You know, our fertility clinic was really wonderful. Um, I hadn't met our surrogate in person. My husband and I hadn't during this whole time, you know, up to then because we couldn't because of COVID. And they at our clinic, they said, you know, even though they were not allowing even spouses and things to come for embryo transfers and, and procedures there. In a surrogate case, they allowed me to come for the transfer because Mm. it's just they knew how important that was um, in the situation. So that was really nerve wracking. The first time I met her (laughs) was at our embryo transfer. Wow. Yeah. So it was a lot of emotions, a lot of nerves. Mm -hmm. Pretty sure I was feeling like I was going to throw up (laughs) when I was driving there. Yeah. But she was so sweet and bubbly and wonderful. And we just started chatting and it was great. So. And also, it's a very intimate situation to meet someone you hadn't met before. So like with an embryo transfer, you're in this procedure room and they do it with a catheter and, you know, it's she's vulnerable very much mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. in that situation. But she was wonderful about it. So, yeah, it went really well. And then you go home and you hope, you know, just like you do with regular transfers. But uh, yeah, I and I remember when we found out, too, at that point, I had told the clinic not to call me anymore with results from embryo transfers because I couldn't handle it. I just mm-hmm. getting the bad news. Mm-hmm. So I told them to call my husband because I just, I couldn't do it. Cool. And so they called him and he picked me up. I was at work and for some reason he picked me up that day and we got in the car and he turned to me and he said, she's very pregnant. And I just started bawling because yes. <laughs> I had never heard those words before, you know, for <laughs> myself or, and it had been such a long time coming. And yeah, we had a wonderful experience moving forward with her. She was great. Um, we texted pretty much every day. We had great communication. Um, and then because it was during COVID, um, we still couldn't go to appointments uh, at the mm-hmm. beginning, mm-hmm. but about halfway through the pregnancy, they allowed me to come, not my husband as well, but so I got to go to ultrasounds and appointments and things like that. Um, we did have one at about 12 weeks. She had a hematoma, which is causes bleeding, and it was pretty scary for a couple of weeks there. And I do remember she went into the emergency room and my husband and I just had to sit on the couch at home and, and wait for a text update to see if our baby was still alive. And that was so difficult. If it hadn't been for COVID, I would have been in the emergency room with her, you for know, sure, next yeah. to her, supporting her and being there for my child. 
But, and then when it came to the birth, luckily by the time the birth happened, COVID had calmed down a little bit because we had some time where we weren't sure if we were going to be able to be there. Right. Which yeah. would have been devastating. I mean, I, I can't imagine not being there for his, his birth. So by the time it happened, both of us got to be there. Um, I watched my son being born. It was <laughs> amazing. <laughs> and we held him right after we did skin to skin. Luckily, the hospital that we delivered at, they were absolutely wonderful. The OB was wonderful. They were used to doing surrogate births. They had mm -hmm. done many of them. Great. So that was a fear of mine um, when we left the fertility clinic and went to a regular OB and, and with the birth that people wouldn't know what to do with us and that I would be treated differently. But it really wasn't the case. And I mean, I think it also depends on where you are and how, how used to this process the, the medical professionals are. Right. So for us, it was great. I had a moment like after, right before my son was born and the, the OB said, hey, mom, put your hands out right here. Put your hands out so you can get ready to you know, hold the baby. Mm -hmm. And I just stood there and I looked around because I still hadn't processed that I was the mom. Oh, yeah. You know, and during even the surrogate process, a lot of times people, not necessarily the OB, but other people would call her mom, you know, oh, mm -hmm. you're the mom, you know, things like that. and. She said, mom, put your hands here again. And I looked at our surrogate just out of, you know, like used to reaction. And the nurse came over and took my hands and said, you, that's you. You're the mom. Here comes oh. your son. And it was such a beautiful moment. And oh, I am my gosh. grateful for, the, for them for being like that and just making it such about me and her and all of us and, and just the beautiful process that it is. So, yeah. So he was um, born and it went well. And then after that, uh, we did get breast milk from her for about three months. And since she was local, we met, we met up like once a week, a week excuse me, um, she would freeze it. And uh, yeah, so, and we're still talking today. So. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. I mean, for how difficult a journey you'd had up until that point, it sounds like right. this was like easier than you could have anticipated. Not, not easy was. in the sense of like, not, yeah, not complex, but just of all of the things that you had gone through and all of the disappointments and, and, and everything. Like, thankfully you had this, aside from the hematoma, sounds like relatively and the pandemic, I guess, <laughs> yeah, yeah. A, a relatively right. <laughs> easy process, meaning in terms of uh, her health and baby's health. And Absolutely. And just how, how lucky we got that we got matched with her. I still mm -hmm. feel just so grateful. She's just a wonderful, wonderful human. <laughs> so that's that, amazing. yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm so glad that, that your, your son is healthy and everything went well. Um, and uh, during you were kind of mentioning a little bit or uh, alluding to that there might have been some other types of challenges throughout the process. I mean, health-wise, everything was pretty much okay, but the the complex nature of other people's comments, like um, people calling her mom and mm -hmm. things like that, can can you kind of go go back through not line by line, but sure. certainly like, yeah. what what were the things that were challenging emotionally? So, I mean, 
surrogacy is not that common of a process. Um, people tend to not be as familiar with it. I think infertility is becoming more a part of the conversation of family building. And I'm really happy about that. It still has a long way to go. And then you add the, the added layer of like surrogacy. And I know I actually, I have friends that or have met people who have had, you know, donor embryos or donor eggs or donor sperm. And, and it's another added like mm-hmm. uh, layer of complexity that can be hard for people to understand sometimes. And so, yeah, you know, comments like I would have people who knew what we were going through say to me, well, how's mom doing? How's the mom doing? And, you know, I would be like, do you mean our surrogate? Um, you know, I'm not going to share her name here. And they'd be like, well, yeah. And I'm like, because, you know, I, I'm the mom too. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but, you know, I think part of that is people are very interested, at least from my point of view, it feels like people are very interested in pregnancy and the process of it and yeah. everything that goes with it. And women, you know, that's a shared experience that they bond over a lot of times. And so most of the time, the questions came from women um, about, you know, how's the mom doing? And they wanted to know things like, is she craving anything? How is she feeling? Um, Mm. You know, the physical part of it. And I I understand the curiosity there. And I, I do get it. But that was hard for me sometimes, because obviously, I couldn't be pregnant. And that wasn't my choice um, at all. And so it, it, it was a little bit hard. You know, I tried to be honest with them. And then if I was on it on the spot to say, but my husband and I were feeling so excited, but also anxious. And we're, you know, trying to figure out what we need to prep for baby and, you know, turn it back on, on that to be like, oh, yeah, we're, we're the parents. So we have, you know, these feelings too. But yeah. Um, uh, right. So that that's with people who know what's going on, um, right? And I assume, I mean, obviously, that I think what you're describing is because there's some unfamiliarity with it. Sure, people don't really know the questions to ask, or don't know the right, right. questions to ask, or are kind of glossing over that this is. Uh, you would have rather. Given the, given the option, you would have rather been the person hundred percent and having yeah. all the cravings or, or whatever it is. Exactly. It's like another um, yeah. layer of almost like, of course, you're excited uh, to be having the process going on, but it's kind of in your, in a way, almost you having to also on the spot g- grieve a little bit, if that, if I can use that word. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's so infertility is very, can be very demoralizing, you know, Mm -hmm. at times and it's heartbreaking. But I think when, especially as women, I I think we put so much pressure on ourselves that, you know, being a a mom is the greatest thing. And, you know, it's a natural thing and for women to be pregnant and that makes them so strong and and wonderful and, and all of that. And, And it does. But when you can't do that yourself, you get some really, you know, negative feelings about your body and yourself and and what it can and can't do. And I remember feeling broken a lot of the times and thinking, you know, my body doesn't work and it's not good like other women's bodies and, you know, the layers of all of that. Um, But I do think for me, at least by the time we got to uh, surrogacy, my body had been through so much. I, mm. I, I couldn't 
imagine putting it through more. Um, you know, I mean, obviously if I had gotten pregnant, I would have been over the moon and I still would have preferred that, but there was a tiny bit of relief for me that, that, that was going to stop and the pressure too, because Mm -hmm. during infertility, it's, you know, you always think, well, maybe if I didn't eat this, or maybe if I didn't exercise like this, or, you know, maybe if I didn't stress so much and that over and over again for years at a time, really, really wears on your mental health. And so part of it was a little bit like, okay, I have tried everything I could with my body and I'm worrying all the time that I'm doing the right thing. And, you know, it's a little bit of a relief to know that I did everything that I could, but Mm -hmm. I just, you know, couldn't do it. So. Right. Which kind of also in some ways makes your, your, well, in a lot of ways makes your process just unseen by everyone. I mean, there, absolutely. There's, you know, still the comments, like I'm sure you experienced during um, your uh, fertility process was the same, was similar as um, while the gestational carrier was pregnant is, you know, people asking you questions like, well, when are you going to have kids and all these like really (laughs) intrusive, you know, Mm -hmm. things. Um, Yeah. yeah, So how do you, how do you, how do you deal with that? Either explaining Um, it or trying to uh, not explain it. Yeah. I think, I think for me, it depended on the people and the situation and also where my mental health was, like how Mm -hmm. much energy I had to go go into it. Right. Um, but like, for example, um, at my work, um, you know, I, I had, uh, I think maybe one person there who I confided in who knew about it. But other than that, it's like, I got to, uh, you know, a point where I was like, well, um, I won't be back for a while, because, <laughs> you know, we're having a baby. And I think they were like, what? <laughs> uh-huh. You know, because it's not that normal process of somebody being pregnant and that unfolding before people's eyes. And at that point, I just sort of gave, I thought about it beforehand, because I knew I would have to give some kind of explanation. Mm-hmm. And so depending on who it was, like in that situation, I had a brief, you know, explanation of we are having a baby through a gestational carrier. He's going to be born, you know, in, a, in two months, and we're really excited. And then if anyone had questions, I answered the questions. Um, mm-hmm. But it's funny that you mentioned that, too, because actually, like, a couple of weeks ago, I, I was a teacher, and I ran into a parent whose son was in my class, you know, during that time, and she, I had my child with me, and she said, oh, you have a, you have a, you have a baby. Um, he's a toddler now, but I said, yeah, she said, Hmm, I don't remember you being pregnant. Mm. And I said, yeah, well, and then she said, oh, my timeline must be off. And I said, "Mm -hmm." and then I just left it at that because I didn't in that situation. I really, I I have no problem sharing it, but it was just one of those things where I was like, are we going to get into this right now? I mean, maybe (laughs) not. So, (laughs) but yeah, so it depends. Yeah, Sure. And I'm sure sometimes you don't mind sharing it and sometimes you right. don't want to get into the details and you're just going right. to like want to go pick fruit at the grocery store or whatever, yeah, like whatever exactly. thing you, it is that you're yeah. trying to do, you know, for sure. It, it, I mean, it's a lot of pressure to have to also explain something that you're yeah. going through that's so incredibly um, complex personal. and emotional and personal. Yeah. And intimate. Yeah. Meaning like close to everybody. Uh, it or, is. You know, it, yeah, it's an interesting thing as well. The feelings of, you know, talking to 
other people who are intended parents, you know, trying to become intended parents. And this, this feeling of having to prove yourself that you're worthy to become a parent, um, is very present because, you know, with, with people who have spontaneous pregnancies and, and things like that, it, you know, it just kind of happens and people expect it and, and, you know, whoever they are, it, it doesn't really matter. And then, when you go through infertility and then especially when you're approaching surrogacy, it's like you have to fight for becoming a parent very hard. And then with the surrogacy process, it's like, please, you know, pick me. I swear I will be a good parent. You know, like I deserve this, you know, for whatever right. reason. And then sometimes the outside pressure of, you know, people thinking, is this something you really need to do? You know, surrogacy seems like a lot and, you know, but we just want to be parents like everybody else. It's just happening in a different way. So. I just have to ask this out loud. Did people say that to you directly? Like, is this something you really need to do? Or like, no, uh, no okay. one said that directly. <laughs> okay. I mean, like, no, oh my no, gosh, no. tell me who they are. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. I, I, I would say luckily, oh, like man. my family and friends, they're all pretty informed and in that, but you know, you, there's this underlying, you know, feeling of that sometimes with the greater public and society kind oh, of thing, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. So that's all I meant by that. But yeah. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. Well, big, I ask because sometimes people do say things mm-hmm. and sure. there's just, who knows why they might just have sure. no sense of that. That might be painful mm-hmm. thing to ask or, you know, re- really right. intrusive questions. People say things yeah. like all the time, like asking you personal questions about either why you are going right. through IVF or even why you are using a gestational carrier. Like that's, mm-hmm incredibly personal stuff and, and it happens mm-hmm. or they ask. Yeah. So some of the, you know, something that's interesting is this goes along with, there are some misconceptions about surrogacy and gestational carriers. And, you know, one of those, it's a thing for people who don't want to be pregnant. That couldn't be farther from the truth. I mean, I'm sure that exists somewhere, but that's people when they arrive at, at this option have done everything else that they wanted to do. So, I mean, I, I did actually hear with my own ears, someone say one time, oh, you know, this person, they use a surrogate. I just think she just didn't want to like be pregnant and like have to deal with that with her body. And I was with family members and one of my sisters and I was so like proud and moved, you know, she we're close and she knows my story, turned to this person and, and very, you know, diplomatically said, have you ever considered that she might not be able to carry her own baby? And that's why this is this is happening. It's probably more likely something like that. It's probably really hard for her. Thanks. And yeah, it was a great moment. And I was like, yeah, you. I didn't have to say it this time. <laughs> so that's yeah, right. That's awesome. Yeah. It's so yeah. and it makes such a world of difference when you have people around you who are supportive and can yeah come through. Absolutely. Like this episode is supported by Hungry Root. I am a creature of habit when it comes to food, like I buy the same stuff in the store and generally make the same stuff over and over. Not really that fun. So in order to shake things up, I use Hungry Root. I can pick a whole meal and they send me what I need to make it, but I will also just let them choose so I don't get into my rut. And it paid off. I got the chicken shawarma non-flatbread. These are flavors that I wouldn't have thought to put together on my own and they totally work. It was so yummy and so easy to make. And bonus, I also received for free organic roasted chicken breast that I threw into a salad for another meal. Hungry Root is my partner in healthy and yummy living. Right now, Hungry Root is offering Mom and Mind listeners 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for life. 
Just go to HungryRoot.com slash cat to get 40% off your first delivery and get your free veggies. That's HungryRoot.com slash cat. Don't forget to use our link so they know we sent you. This episode is supported by Factor. Eating better is better with ready-to-eat Factor meals. And ready-to-eat means pop it in the microwave for two minutes and done. I mix in a few of these meals into my rotation for the days that we're on the run or that I don't want to make anything. I chose the high-protein and calorie-smart options, one of which is the mushroom chicken thighs and wild rice with garlic-roasted green beans. This is restaurant-quality and so tasty. I can adjust how many meals I get in my order as much or as little as I need every week. Plus, I can pause or reschedule my deliveries anytime, which comes in really handy for our busy schedule. Head to factormeals.com slash momandmind50 and use code momandmind50 to get 50% off. That's code momandmind50 at factormeals.com slash momandmind50 to get 50% off. And it sounds like in your family system, you did have support and like how important is that part of this? Oh, it's so incredibly important. I have connected, you know, with people who are intended parents, mostly online. So I don't know them in person because it's not like you walk down the street and just meet people in that way a lot of times. Mm -hmm. But, and some of them don't have that support and, you know, or aren't even wanting to tell anyone that this is what they're doing because they know the reaction that they're going to get. And, you know, it's already a little bit isolating going through infertility and, and feeling different all the time and feeling like you have to explain yourself to everybody. And so not having that support, I imagine, would be incredibly difficult. I was really lucky. I was open with my parents. I mean, they knew everything about it. And the day we found out our, our gestational carrier was pregnant, we, we met up and we toasted with champagne and, you know, they were there through all of it. So... <laughs> Yeah, that is fantastic. I mean, to your point, as you were talking through just that, that act of being able to come together and celebrate together um, is a big deal. Yeah. If they know the journey you've been on, uh, to feel like you have a community of people there to support you, especially if like the general public doesn't get it, you really need. Right. And I think, and I think they mostly don't, but you know, at the same time, it's just something that's unfamiliar. And so this is why I want to talk about it so that it, you know, becomes a part of conversation that this is a thing that happens sometimes and, you know, people can understand more about it and why people do it and how mm-hmm. it feels and all those mm-hmm. different things. <laughs> so. Yeah. For, for people who are listening, who, you know, who are just learning about this, like what, what do you, how, what would you say in terms of what would you have wanted from people to hear from people who are just learning about your experience? supportive things. Yeah. So I never mind when people have questions, you know, genuine questions of like, oh, you're doing that. That's so interesting. Do you mind if I ask like how you decided to to do that or, or or what led you to this point or because that's a normal, a normal and and genuine and and empathetic thing to to want to understand more about other people. So I've never minded questions like that at all. Or I think what would really have felt really good would have been things like congratulations that's so great you're you're going to be a parent you know like that's amazing and there's a quote that I like that however parenthood comes to you is a miracle you know Mm -hmm. and that kind of attitude you know people are curious and that's fine to answer questions but 
there wasn't always a lot of focus on that's why I think I had that moment in the hospital of like, oh, me, I'm the parent, you know, mm-hmm. like there wasn't mm-hmm. as much focus on that, uh, you know, and I've talked a lot about this with my husband. And I wonder a lot of times if that's how dads feel, you know, some of the time because mm-hmm. they don't go through the pregnancy, but they're mm-hmm. expecting their child. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they feel, you know, like people recognize it and they feel bonded, but it's not the same as people seeing like a woman pregnant. Um, they don't have the same reaction. So it's interesting in that way. Right. Yeah, I, I appreciate you bringing both of those perspectives and just be supportive and congratulatory. Um, mm-hmm. And also the partner's perspective. Yeah. Um, both like, as you said, through a spontaneous pregnancy, but I mean, I, this probably has some additional layers for partner as well. Yeah. I mean, my husband has been overwhelmingly supportive, you know, throughout all of this. And he, I liked his focus, like the positive focus for him was, you know, I I wasn't able to be pregnant, but he would say things like, well, we are equal partners now, Mm -hmm. you know, in this and, you know, we can do the same things. And, you know, it's not that you can do some things and I can't do them because of Mm -hmm. pregnancy or birth or whatever. And, you know, that was his way of being super positive about that. And I did appreciate that and made it, it feel better (laughs) in a way. So, yeah. Right. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I know kind of gone through your story relatively quickly, Yeah. but all of the things that you've highlighted are so important, both just sharing your personal story, but, but all of the ways that, you know, you wanted to come on and, and share this to help people understand this a little bit more. And to your point, not a lot of people are either able or open to to talk about it, and let alone on a platform where, you know, sure. where you can yeah. reach a lot of people. Yeah. So, right, we've gone through your story in a short bit of time, and I know there's so much more to understand, but what would you like for people to understand for now and with your story? So, you know, I guess basically that using a gestational carrier, it's a complicated process, both emotionally and logistically, but it is a, in my experience, a wonderful, beautiful partnership. That's what it felt like for my family and her family. And it's just one way out of many that people expand their family. And it's a wonderful option for those who, you know, have tried with IVF and other things on their own, and it just doesn't work. And basically, there are people, I think, who think that a relationship between intended parents and uh, a carrier might be a, a transactional situation. And though there are, you know, legal parts to this, and things like that. In my experience, it is way beyond that. And it is so much more than that. And it is just, I wouldn't have my son if it weren't for our wonderful carrier. And every day I look at him, I'm, I'm grateful for her and I'm grateful for the opportunity to have him because I wouldn't have had that. Well, thank you so much for sharing yeah. with us. And yeah, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you again, Lizzie, for coming on to share your story with us. For those of you who are listening who know someone that might need the support of hearing a story like Lizzie's, please do share this with them. As you know, one of the main goals of this podcast is 
to share enough information and education so that people know that they are not alone. Thank you so much for being with us. Until next time. Please find the Mom and Mind podcast on momandmind.com or wellmindperinatal.com, where you can also find access to my free online mini course that is specifically designed for people experiencing anxiety in the postpartum period. Or you can learn more about the three and a half hour self-paced course that I created just for managing postpartum stress. You can also connect with us on social media at Mom and Mind on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for tuning in and learning more about perinatal mental health. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.